make money online. So I think the goal of a retainer is to have a client exist forever and have them pay you all of the money you need to live. Is that correct? That, that's, that's correct, right? That's absolutely a real thing. Every single month, they just give you money. Every single month, they it, and it has to be enough money for you to live. Uh, so you could have like a lot clients. of money, like a lot of money, ideally. Yeah, not not like not like five bucks, like class money. No, no, and honestly, like when it comes to retainers, I oftentimes see consultants of varying levels say like. I want to add retainers to my business because it seems like, you know, like the Holy Grail, I'm going to make money every month. I'm going to launch a $15 a month hosting option. And I'm like, perhaps you should charge 10 times as much. And they're like, no, I'm going for volume. And I'm like, I don't agree with that structurally or philosophically. Like when it comes to a retainer, I think there are two types of retainers you could offer. Maybe there's more that we'll discover on this episode, but you could have sort of like lower value, more hands-off retainers. And I see these as being three-figure. And when we say retainer, we should definitely circle back to better define retainer, but like a three-figure recurring monthly service engagement that's pretty hands-off. And then you have higher tier four-figure and five-figure monthly recurring, they pay you on a schedule, service engagements where you're doing more strategy or you're doing more implementation, you're handling more of the project. Really, I see retainer-based offerings falling into those two separate separate and distinct categories. How about yourself? I, for me, retainers, as a designer, it's very weird to do retainers because what do you do with a retainer? Is it, I'm just making a new Photoshop mock for you every month and it's like, stay tuned for the landing page and and then they're just checking their watch, right? Like design typically works best as a discrete project. Um, And then additional design efforts, okay, well, those can be quite variable, right? So there's uh, kind of an issue where, oh, well, we're redoing the product. Okay, well, now you have to redesign and it's more significant. Uh, Oh, now we're just doing this one new thing and we need a couple of icons or we need something to fit in. Okay, well, now you just kind of have me on retainer doing maintenance work. Okay, well, how do you work maintenance work in with other developers. Um, And so I think it brings about a lot of interesting questions around what uh, you're actually doing based on the work that you're actually capable of of providing. If you're listening to this and you're a developer, you're probably thinking maybe like security or maintenance updates or bug fixes or something like that. And you're able to sell in a retainer relatively naturally as an outcropping of what uh, you're doing with your normal work. Uh, with design, it's a little less clean. Um, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to do design at the thing. I've successfully clutched that into a retainer exactly once in my career. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I see retainers, both in my business and other people's businesses, they might start out very well defined, but it could quickly become sort of the catch-all hodgepodge service offering. Like, I've got this thing defined, you're paying me four to five figures a month, and I will do things as they come up, which is fine. Like if you're going into that intentionally with like an, let's call it an agile freelancing focus where you meet weekly with the client or monthly with the client, figure out your priorities, move forward with it. And like that could be a very good thing. But I think it's better if you approach that intentionally saying, I'm launching this agile service where it's retainer based and each week or each month we figure out what to focus on. What I dislike is when you have a well-defined service offering and 
over time, as your engagement with the client continues into month three, month six, month 12, well, the original scope has drifted a bit, but you're both okay with that because you figured out better problems to solve. But now it's become this weird like hodgepodge. It doesn't quite fit in with your other service offerings. It's not solving the same expensive problems, but it's valuable to the client. You enjoy working with them. And you end up into in this like retainer no man's land where you're providing value, you're getting paid for it, but it's not really one of your service offerings and it doesn't quite align with the direction you want to take your business in. I've ended up starting podcast outreach engagements that ended with me writing drip campaign sequences for the client. And at the end of it, I was like, somewhere along the lines here, we took a left turn that I wasn't expecting. And I think that's something that's valuable to be on the lookout for when it comes to retainers. If you have a retainer offering, I think there's a lot of value in clearly specifying the scope of what's included. And if and when you drift outside of that, saying, okay, how do we bring this back to the baseline? And if they need something that's custom and outside of the scope, let's quote that as something new. So we both understand that it's not, oh, what we started with, but we just bolted on a couple new things, but instead it's resetting from ground zero. These are the outcomes you're looking for. These are the actions we'll take to get you to those outcomes. This is how much it will cost. Here's how we move forward. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things, sometimes a retainer just kind of spontaneously happens as a result of previous work that you've been doing. Sometimes you find an opportunity to propose a retainer after you've done, say, a one-off project. And then sometimes you do retainers kind of a productized consulting engagement. And I think a lot of people listening to this episode, probably a lot of people in my audience, are thinking about retainers in terms of this, where you just have this standalone thing that is... It's not hooked into any other work, and it's maybe the apotheosis of a product ladder or something like that, where you get somebody, oh, they buy your book. Okay, now they buy a bigger engagement. Okay, now they're on the retainer. Um, that's how Draft Revise works. Uh, a lot of people come in the door buying Cadence and Slang or one of my other offerings, and um, then they might become a Revise Express client, and then they become a Draft Revise client. Um, I've had a couple where that's happened. Um or uh, you do a huge thing, and then if you're a developer, like, do you want me to provide WordPress updates for you into perpetuity? Great, 50 a month, you know? So it can be cheap. You can do that. Um, my retainers are big. <laughs> the cheapest retainer I've ever had was 650 a month, and then I hiked the price on that repeatedly. Uh, the cheapest retainer I have right now is 5000 a quarter. And it is to do your Google Analytics for you because nobody else has any ownership over it. Um, so, yeah, I think those are all, um, you know, it, it can really run the range of, of what you're doing. No, I completely agree. And uh, uh, thinking about, like, what an optimal high-touch retainer looks like, like, uh, this, this comes from a listener question where, they had written in saying retainers had looked like a holy grail a year or so ago, but now they look like a trap where they can constrain your time, they can keep you from doing more interesting product work, and they feel a little client-side luxurious where uh, uh, you're essentially handing over the keys to your brain and access to you to the client. So one important thing to talk about, I think, would be what an optimal high-touch retainer looks like. And in, for me in my business, what I've discovered is the more narrowly I define what that retainer includes, the better it will be. So just to flash back to your example, hey, one of your retainer offerings is I will take ownership of your Google Analytics because nobody else is doing that and somebody desperately needs to. 
Okay, great. So you've cleanly and clearly defined what that includes. If they come along and say like, well, hey, we really need somebody to focus on A, B, or C, other analytics tool, you could say, hey, we could discuss that as a separate retainer, but what's on the table, what's in the can of soup is just what's listed on the tin. This is all you're getting with this retainer. So I think an optimal high-touch retainer clearly defines what you're going to be doing in terms of work and ideally positions you for strategic access. You, I think, want to be promoting yourself as a strategic advisor to your clients. And so part of that is not making yourself available to do whatever they need, but do make, but actually making yourself available to answer questions as they come up through a channel that you designate. This might be a shared Slack room. This might be email. This might be Basecamp. This might be something else that I haven't heard of yet. But whatever it is, saying, hey, you know what? I'm available to help with strategic questions around this as they come up. And the best way to you know communicate with me is through this channel and the turnaround time is this much time and that's how we move forward. So I think the ideal high touch retainer is a combination of I'm going to do these very specific things for this amount of money and you also gain access to me to ask questions in this shape and form with this type of turnaround time. Yeah, uh, scope creep and mission creep are hugely, hugely dangerous in retainers for a variety of reasons. One of them is uh, what you're saying where you're basically doing a bunch of unpaid work and you're not setting expectations correctly. So if you've listened to this podcast for more than five minutes ever, you know that we're extremely, extremely hard on making sure you are setting correct boundaries with an engagement. Your being hired for a retainer can often look to a client like they are hiring someone for one-tenth of the expense. And that's not... You get a full-time employee with no health insurance, and that's that's some bullshit. That's not okay. So telling them, okay, I'm doing this, this, and this. Now, if you want to bolt on more offerings, you could do this, this, and this, and it will cost you. If you want to do one-off work, um, I've sometimes charged draft revised clients to work on a redesign. So we do the redesign, and then I put that together, and then we go back to A-B testing it. Um, that helps you maintain your pipeline really, really effectively. The second major thing is a very good problem to have, and it happens very frequently, where sometimes they increase the scope such that they become your whale client. We have talked in the past extensively about the dangers of establishing a whale client. They make you complacent. They make you um, overly dependent on one client, and when they leave, you are fucked. Um, you are a consultant that is pledging fealty to no one and you need to comport yourself as such. So uh, do absolutely everything that you can to keep no one retainer client from providing more than one sixth of your income. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree with that. And I think I, I want to emphasize something you said there where it's one sixth of your income. It's not one sixth of your client income. So if you, you know, have a SaaS, you're selling a product, you do coaching, you do uh, uh, trainings, you have other income streams, you might have a whale client, a singular client you work with, but they're only a fraction of your total income. So it's important to think of it as your total income pie rather than just consulting work. If you're able to say like, hey, I have six clients and each one's equal and buy yourself out of working with one of those clients by getting another income stream up, awesome. You've still diversified your risk of working with these different income streams and different clients and different people who are paying you money. You just aren't at risk of the whale client being your entire income source. So I think there's a good distinction that a listener should catch there in between 
income source and total number of clients when it comes to a whale client shouldn't take up more than one sixth of your income. Yeah, I mean, it's okay if you get a client that is taking up, you know, two thirds of what your potential income would be as long as you have other income sources that are supplanting the other five sixths of your income. And then you just end up making a preposterous quantity of money. That is okay. It is better to model your retainer such that you are um, treating those clients as gravy income rather than as the sole thing floating your business. Because then if they do want to hire you more and more, you can rely on other things. You're basically diversifying your income sources more effectively. When it comes to retainers for your business, do you go into them assuming that they have an expiration date or do you approach them as being evergreen that they'll last until they don't? Um, A-B testing reaches diminishing returns pretty quickly and mm -hmm. clients really love getting consultants out the door as quickly as possible. So what ends up happening is I find myself just teaching them what I know and then they think that they can do it themselves. Um, whether that is true or not is <laughs> highly variable from client to client. But what ends up happening is I only really reserve my time for the duration of the retainer, and that's why I charge out quarterly. So you're stuck with me for a long period of time. Um, that's why there's an important getting-to-know-you process around all of this. Um, after that quarter is up, I... Don't want to say I'm already thinking about replacing you, but I never assume that our continued engagement is guaranteed. I never do. And I'm always thinking about filling the pipeline and getting the next person in. Because I've, I've not had... I've had clients for 15 months, 18 months. There's been a couple two-year ones. Um, but, you know, the predominance of them is maybe six, nine... Like, it's not a thing that it is always a guaranteed, like, oh, yeah, we're going to be together forever. Um, that's not the case. And you have to, you have to act like it, it's not the case. Um, and that's fine. It's not good or bad. You're just accounting for it. Yeah, it's very similar for my business. The way I frame my retainer offerings is we're going to work together for X months at the start, and then it's either a month-to-month -month renewal period after that, cancel at any time, or a quarterly renewal period. We're going to renew for three months and then have another decision point. And like you referenced earlier, there's a ramp up in getting to know you period. Uh, I, when I first started selling retainer offerings, I sold them on a month-to-month -month basis. And there's a decent amount of churn because the client would say, hey, we're three weeks into the engagement. Where are the results? And I'd explain, well, hey, you know, SEO and outreach, these take time. What we've done is do a lot of the setup here, da-da-da. And I realized that I was doing a very poor job of framing it as being a three-month sort of journey to get the results we're looking for. And I switched over to selling my services a quarter at a time with that quarterly renewal. When it comes to coaching, there's a bit of a difference where I have both a three-month and then a month-to-month -month uh, recurring coaching program and a quarterly at a time coaching program. And the reason I put those two in place is since for some people, getting three months of targeted tactical advice on what to do to grow their business works perfectly. And then they're like, I want to just hop in and out month-to-month. -month. For some people, they want more of a commitment, more direction. And so 
the larger retainer-based offering there makes more sense. But in a sense, I've structured each to the needs of that ideal client or that type of client and the outcomes that they're searching for. Some people are saying, what are the 10 things I need to do to make my business better? Some people are saying, I need week-to-week accountability to help grow my business. Are you that person for me? And so by structuring an offering for each type of client, I think I'm able to better meet client demand and client needs. Yeah, it's one of those things where, how do I put this? You don't necessarily come in with an extremely fixed sense of what the retainer looks like. So let's take DraftRevise, for example. DraftRevise has no prices on its homepage because sometimes I'm doing that kind of hand-holding. And sometimes I literally just run two A-B tests for you a month. And then I come back and I say, I did this. And the core of it is I'm researching and running A-B tests for you. But there's always a lot more to it, right? Like sometimes you need a lot of like organizational and procedural stuff. Sometimes you need a bigger research deep dive. And sometimes you, um, maybe your business is a trash fire and I'm just putting a tax on it. That's usually not the case because I don't really want to work with trash fires. But, you know, that there's always a jerk tax in consulting sometimes. So, yeah. There's been a lot of times similarly for me on retainer offerings where I have, let's say I have the best of intentions for what the engagement will look like, but I'll come in and we'll start asking questions like, hey, we're doing podcast outreach here. What's the landing page we're pointing people to? We don't have one. We're going to use the homepage. Well, we probably shouldn't, so we need to set up a homepage uh, or a landing page. Uh, What sort of lead magnet or offer or incentive are we offering? We don't have one. Okay, so we probably need to pull together a couple articles and like just ship an ebook, something that's resonant with the messaging and the problem your app solves. And so we've identified these necessary prerequisites that haven't been put in place yet that we need to put in place before we could even really get started or see success with the outreach campaign. And so there can be this ramp up period where we're doing valuable work that's necessary, but it isn't quite in the full scope of the engagement. In cases like that, I basically try to communicate across to the client as well as I can that, well, hey, there, you know, I, we opened up the hood of the car. We discovered there were raccoons in the engine. We're going to need to get the raccoons out before we figure out why there's oil leaking. So it's going to take a little longer than we estimated. And this is how that's going to impact the project timeline overall. And I found that communicating that across works well. Either the client is displeased, in which case, well, maybe this isn't the right project for us to be working on together. Or the client says, oh, okay, good to know that we need to do these things. What do you need from me? What are you going to handle? And you're able to move forward with the engagement that way. But even there, there's a bit of scope drift. Yeah. And and you have to be okay with there being a little bit of scope drift because sometimes that actually makes for a more interesting case study. Like people being excited to, to work with you and adding to the scope I actually kind of frame it as a blessing in disguise because it means that you've proven yourself. And, you know, then then you have to, like, contend with expectations in a way that's, you know, healthy to yourself and your self-care practice. But, like, it's... It's something that also is valuable to you because you know that you have succeeded a little bit that now they're giving you more stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and I think that causes sort of that double-edged sword of retainers, where you don't want to wake up and find yourself six months later doing something completely different, but you also want the relationship with the client to naturally grow and evolve. As the client says, "Oh wow, we trust you," or you, as the consultant, say, "Oh wow, I've discovered some opportunities for you to increase revenue, decrease costs, eliminate this problem, achieve this outcome. Here's my plan for doing it for you." 
you might wake up, you might unintentionally like find yourself doing a completely different line of service for that client. But to jump back to your point, it might be a good sign. So there definitely is this push and pull where you don't want to be sort of pushed into something you don't want to be doing, but there could be a natural growth to the retainer engagement that just sort of makes sense. Yeah. So that's it. It's very simple. You're, yeah. You're going to do real well by it. <laughs> uh, in terms of like danger signs, uh, I'd say pushing from the client towards things that are not in scope or you don't necessarily want to do. I've definitely had client engagements or retainer-based engagements where the client says, hey, can you also do this other thing? And typically it's something that's not included or not involved or that I wouldn't necessarily include, but I could see why it makes sense and I could see why it would make for a great testimonial or case study. And so I'll occasionally lump in something else like, oh, can you, you know, do a teardown of this part of our website for us? Yeah, sure. That'll take me an hour to do, but it will turn into a wonderful testimonial or a wonderful case study or something valuable there. I really think the danger signs are if you're being pushed into things that you don't want to do. If you feel like, oh, wow, I've been conscripted to do a role or do parts of a role that aren't what I want, uh, referencing your earlier comment about uh, uh, people hiring consultants feeling like they're going to get a full-time employee at a discounted cost, you don't want to end up in that scenario. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think that... You need to watch for the danger signs on it, right? Because it <sighs> being turned into a job, which fuck a job, is it looks like praise, and we're hardwired to appreciate praise, right? It's it's something that makes us feel good, especially when we're coming off of the nervousness and tenseness of a new kickoff where we still haven't finished like circling each other. Like we don't know, we're sizing it up. We don't know what the other person is thinking. And so it's it's very tempting to say, oh, we had a huge win. This is great. Do all this other stuff. No, man. You have to charge for it. They have to pay for it. No, I agree on that. Uh, uh, before we wrap up this episode, there's sort of like an aside or sort of a different direction I wanted to take it in briefly. So when we talk about retainers, one of the outcomes we're aiming for as consultants is consistent month-to-month -month income. If you have a client on retainer, it means you don't have to worry about finding somebody new to fill that slot come next month. But there are a bunch of potential downsides to retainers, as we've talked about in this episode. You could have scope creep, you could have mission creep, you could have it go in a weird direction, you don't know what the life cycle is going to be. So let's zoom out for a second. If the outcome we're searching for is make more money consistently as a freelancer or a consultant, you don't necessarily need a standard retainer offering to do that. I'd argue that by implementing a strong client follow-up campaign, you know, three months after the project, send them an email. Um, two months after the project, send them a little letter in the mail. Three months after the project, send them another email. And each time, just politely and persistently reminding them, hey, it was great working on, you know, Project X and helping you get that outcome. Do you need more help with stuff like that? If so, I'm available. Or do you know other people who need help solving a similar problem? If so, I'm av available. I know multiple consultants who bill five figures a week, or not five figures a week, four figures a week, who repeatedly close new clients off of the back of a simple email that's basically, hey, it was great working on that project. Do you want to book another week? And the client responds back, yes, we would love to. And they sell another four-figure week. So if the goal is more stability in the income for your freelancing business, 
doesn't necessarily have to be a retainer. It could instead be getting repeat projects with existing clients. And they could be one-off projects, you know, build weekly, custom price, proposal-based, productized, whatever, but it doesn't need to be a retainer. It could instead be, let's quote a new scope of work and figure out what makes the most sense for us to work together. Yeah, that's another good way to kind of get over that, right? You need to make sure that it's crammable in a retainer hole, right? So if you're if your scope of work is constantly shifting, just like, how much are we doing this month? We're doing this. How much is it going to cost? This. Great. And be fair about the pricing and don't, don't gouge them because they can tell. And yeah, maybe you're sending more proposals than you would necessarily want to. That might be an opportunity to hire an assistant or somebody similar, but you're still getting work and you're still putting decent boundaries on it. And hopefully operating in a way that is sane for yourself and your career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you might be able to back yourself into discovering what a retainer might look like. You, If you do effective follow-up, if you start closing multiple projects with the same clients, you might discover like, oh, wow, I consistently close them into this type of offering and they stay around for like two to four months with that exact offering doing the same thing each month congratulations you just discovered a retainer that you could add to your service offering so this experimenting with different offerings this following up with past clients can be a wonderful way to discover new problems to turn into service offerings to make available at large to any client or any prospect that comes into your universe mm -hmm.